Welcome to Disability News. This weekly program is put on by Radio Eye. It's a weekly program, almost an hour long in length, that shares stories in the community, whether they're globally, nationally, statewide, or just locally in your own community that affect the disability community. These stories can range from a wide range of resources and things and come from a wide range of peer articles, journals, and magazines. Many of the popular magazines and articles that we use come from sources such as The Guardian, LA Times, New York Times, New Mobility, Disability Scoop, NCDJ, and a variety of other things. We'll do as much reading as we can in this nearly hour-long program. Keep in mind if any articles or stories we share deal with health concerns or things that you are worried about, Always check with your doctor, medical provider, nurse, or other health expert on those. The information is only supposed to be current, educational, and informative, and let you know what's going on currently in our world. Your reader for today's program is Chris Clements, a board member and volunteer with Radio I. We appreciate all your support to allow this program be possible and bringing it to you to each week in what is called Disability News. First article we'll be reading actually comes from New, Abil- New Mobility Magazine. This is the magazine that came out in uh, January this year of 2023 as we wait for the February edition. The first story we'll be reading came out actually on January 25th, 2023. It's a parenting article called The Land of Inaccessible Daycare for Wheelchair Using Parents to search for accessible daycare, providers can often feel and be defeated. It was written by Seth McBride. My daughter isn't in daycare because of a drain pipe. The daycare center we were about to row her in wasn't accessible. If I could get around to the back, there was a patio entrance with a small step where I could pull myself up and at least drop her off. But across the path was a thick drain pipe that diverted rainwater from the building. No big deal to redirect it, I thought. No big deal unless the owner was in transition, insisted the drain pipe could only be moved temporarily, then mentioned that she wasn't comfortable with a staff member coming to unlock the gate to the backyard and because that would take away from the children. Okay, so my daughter isn't in daycare because of a drain pipe and an asshole. The drain pipe was just the absurd cherry on the top of what had been a month-long, ultimately unsuccessful search to find child care for our daughter. The story is about me and my family, and it's also about how broken America's children's care system is for everyone. Trying to assess it as a parent with a disability isn't impossible, but it's painful, exhausting, and often defeating. Daycare paradise does have a curb. Let's back up. Let's back up for the context. Four years ago, my son Ewan was about to turn two. My wife Kelly worked full time and I had been taking care of Ewan a few days a week with my mom handling the other days. But when I started working more, my mom was driving an hour each way. Asking her to come in more than a couple days a week wasn't an option. We needed help. I heard daycare stories from other non-disabled parents. People built multi-column spreadsheets of daycare provider information. They put their children on waiting lists immediately after learning of a pregnancy. Families were paying for daycare while mom was still on maternity leave with a newborn. Just so a slot would be available when they needed it. I have generally lacy fair attitude towards life, so I wasn't too worried about finding a daycare until we needed it. Then I started looking. 
The website Winnie lists over 2,100 child care providers in the Portland area, but 1,700 of these are home-based. And how many of these homes are wheelchair accessible? Start looking around on Redfin for a house you can row into and you'll get a pretty good idea. We were stuck with child care centers would seem better anyway, less creepy than dropping my two-year-old off at a stranger's home. A figure accessibility wouldn't be an issue at a daycare provider's base and commercial properties. With what the ADA and all, wheelchair-using parents feel free to laugh at my novelty. I wouldn't be offended. I called one place and the manager told me that I would be fine dropping Ewan off until he turned three. The three-year-old classroom was upstairs. I emailed another place. Nope, not accessible either. Struck out on a third. How is this possible? I asked myself. I started to think pre-kindergarten child care providers must somehow be exempt from ADA. Not true. They are bound by entitlement three, just like any other public serving business. But really, is the Justice Department going to start going after daycare providers? Talk about some bad press. I emailed a place that was exotic due of daycares for North Portland parents. The website was all about inclusion and celebrating differences. They offered a cloth diaper service, a chef cooked meals with organic meat, eggs, and vegetables from their own farm, weekly yoga sessions for toddlers. I kid you not, a friend of ours got on their waiting list when she was pregnant. Two and a half years later, she was still on the waiting list. Still was worth a shot. We went for a tour, and a manager met us in the park lot and started telling us about their educational philosophy. Then we got to the edge of the park lot, and there was a curb blocking the entrance to the school. You could see the light bulb go off in her head. Then the horror, then the shame. Oh, I'm so sorry. We can do something about this. We haven't had any parents who use wheelchairs before. It's the rest of the way accessible, Kelly asked. Yes, we can just pop up the curb for now, I said. The rest of the tour went great. They had a climbing wall in one of the classrooms, tiny flushable toddler toilets, and the kids went outside multiple times a day, regardless of weather. Never mind the fact that sending Ewan three days a week was going to cost almost as much as our mortgage. The place where I'd have to let Ewan wander upstairs solo only cost $100 a month less, and we'd have to supply our own Cheez-Its. A few days later, we got a call. Exotadu was installing a curb cut in accessible parking space, and imagine that. A spot had opened in the fall. They would be happy to enroll Ewan. I almost laughed into the phone. Just when things were starting to get desperate, we've been saved. But I was still slightly annoyed. Finding a quality daycare provider for Ewan had been dependent on some well-meaning inclusion buffs, feeling mortified by their own blind spot and letting us jump the line. But mostly I was happy. We had somewhere to send them. Round two, fast forward three years, we've moved an hour east of Portland to a small town on the Columbia River. Ewan is five and happily enrolled in kindergarten. I work full-time from home, and Kelly works three days a week commuting back into Portland. We've moved to be closer to family. My parents live on adjoining property, adjoining property. When Kelly first went back to work, my mom had been helping to watch Lou three days a week. But my mother wasn't dealing with a series of health issues that ultimately led to her needing neck surgery. It was six months or more that she couldn't pick Lou up. 
couldn't watch her on her own. Kelly and I made work because we had to. We looked for daycare and hadn't found anything for a child under two in our town. The next town over, or the bigger town half an hour away, we tracked down anyone with a young child, moms at the local brew hub, dads at the park, and asked them what they were doing for childcare. We were met with blank stares and deflating answers. My parents watched him a few days a week. I'm working from home when I can. We're part of a nanny share. Let me know if you find a place. This clearly wasn't just a wheelchair issue. It was an everybody issue. Why is it so difficult to find childcare, let alone affordable childcare in America? There are thousands of reasons, but most revolve around the fact that we don't value child care or child care workers, just like we don't value personal child care worker, case care workers. More on this in an upcoming future. Both child care and personal care labor have historically been performed by women, either underpaid within the family or by employees, usually some of combination of low wage workers, immigrants, and women of color. See patriarchy. Despite the exorbitant cost of childcare these days, employees often make unlivable wages. Daycare teachers' wages are fast food wages. Ewan's first teacher at his fancy Portland school was a wonderful woman who had been teaching for more than 20 years. She lived with roommates because it was the only way she could afford housing in Portland. Providers must shoulder rapidly climbing rents as well, plus mandated teacher-student ratios without widespread government subsidies. There's simply no wiggle room, and it's working parents who bear the cost. Lou is a 16-month-old dancing machine. She's a velociraptor and the second coming of Chris Farley. She's hilarious, sprints whenever she's going, and seeks out weak points in our baby-proofing with surgical precision. Lou is not interested in playing quietly while I work. The part where Seth gets mad. A few months ago, Kelly went to the park with Lou and heard from another mom about a local provider that took children under two. News filled us with a painful, desperate kind of hope. The child care was home-based, but it was in a single-level home with a single step to enter. Kelly toured the place like the teachers and thought I might be able to manage a drop-off. That's when we found the drain pipe. The conversation with the owner happened the day before I was going to drop Lou off for her first day. Normally, Kelly is the enforcer, and I'm the let's-make-it-work guy. But the last six months had been more stressful than any stretch of my life, immediate post-spinal cord injury included. I'd been sleeping six hours a night. I could never just hang out with Lou or with Ewan. I always had something else to be doing at the same time. I was exhausted and I was grumpy. The owner had already been defensive when Kelly asked about a multi-hundred dollar art supply fee. Seems excessive for some finger paint, no? Now Kelly was trying her hardest to keep the lady happy, but when I heard the owner complain about me providing access, I snapped. Huh? This lady, I told Kelly, we're not sending Lou there. Kelly mouth. Really? I nodded. Kelly didn't need to be differential anymore. Their conversation quickly devolved. It ended with Kelly hanging up on her. We were crushed. Two daycare searches, two different results, but both had been dependent on the whims of the providers. 
Later that night, I filed an ADA complaint with the Justice Department. It was the first complaint I had ever filed, and honestly, I didn't expect much. Best case scenario, they'll make the lady put a ramp in, but we already learned what kind of person the owner was. Regardless of whatever she was forced to provide access, we never seen Lou there. Mostly, I filed it because it was the only way I could contribute towards making progress with the national problem. The ADA has no enforcement mechanisms other than complaints from aggregated parties like me. Unless their data is to show there's an issue, nothing's ever going to change. That's what I tell myself, to feel better at least. But really, is the Justice Department going to start going after daycare providers? Talk about some bad press. There is no happy takeaway to the story. My mom has recovered enough to start watching Lou again, which is extremely helpful. But we have no backup. Lou still isn't in daycare a month or two after I filed the complaint. The Justice Department sent me letters saying that they were declining to investigate. The light at the end of the tunnel is we've had a spot held for Lou at a local Cespos preschool that you and attended for a year. She can't wait until she's two. At the end of June, until then, we'll keep making it work. We don't have a choice. This article is provided by New Mobility. It was written by Seth McBride and came out in late January of 2023, dealing with child care and parenting and the heartaches and headaches that a lot of them have to go through in finding a place that, for their children. Our next story is called Gloves for Life, a quad-friendly glove, Gloves That Shine. Came out on January 27, 2023. is a New Mobility magazine and is written by Michael Fonts. There are pictures and images of it that shows the glove up close, but here's what we share in the story. The right wheelchair gloves can be the difference between easy, independent, pushing, and feeling like you're slogging through a marsh. Frustrating finding a pair that fits and works can be difficult. A great glove for a quad may impede a parl. Knowing this, Debbie Rigsby, a C6, C7 quad, and her husband Zane bought gloves for life from the original owner in 2013. 10 years ago. They have dedicated the last decade to developing gloves that help quadriplegics and others with limited dexterity push better. They sent me a pair of their gloves to try. As a C5, C6 quad who doesn't use gloves regularly, I found them very useful. Gloves for Life's gloves are made from durable yet soft suede material and a tacky rubber pad that covers the palm and the heel of the hand. You secure the gloves with a hook and loop strap that wraps around the top side of the hand. The strap has a D-ring at the end that can be pulled with a thumb or teeth, allowing you to easily adjust the strap. Gloves for Life. Customize the pair of gloves I received. The website has a handy sizing guide that makes it easy to figure what size will work for you. My hand was right on the threshold between medium and large, so I ordered the large that have a bigger pushing surface. I made the strap one and a half inch shorter to make sure it fit properly. It took a few tries to figure out the best way to get the gloves on and off by myself, but once I figured it out, the process became quick and easy. I use power assist wheels and usually don't wear gloves. Once I put the gloves on and started pushing, the difference was very noticeable. Pushing required much less effort, and even when I didn't make good contact with the hand rim, the wheel still propelled forward. 
Another benefit I noticed from wearing the gloves is that they helped when I had nerve pain in my hands. On bad pain days, I have more difficulty pushing, but the gloves seem to dampen the impact on my hands and the pain. On top of the pushing benefits, gloves can be used as an adaptive cuff to hold items. For example, I put a fork through the thumb hole, similar to no one would use a universal cuff. It is not something I would do regularly, but I forgot to bring my adaptive utensils with me. This would work in a pinch. I use the gloves to hold a pen, and while they won't replace my adaptive writing splint, I can see the option coming in handy. The gloves also made it much easier to hold on to items like cups and to slide items across my desk. Gloves for Life are a great option for quads looking for gloves that will help them push and live more independently. Gloves for Life are available in four sizes and 16 colors. Each pair of gloves is made to order and can be customized for sizing and features. Glove for Life's gloves are available for $75 per pair with discounts available for bulk orders. For more information, you can visit glovesforlife.com. That's G-L-O-V-E-S-F-O-R-L-I-F dot C-O-M. Next story we're going to read from New Mobility is called A Wheelchair Dancer in the Sky. This article came out on January 24, 2023 and was written by Ian Rudder. Dangling upside down in your wheelchair 30 to 45 feet above a crowd of onlookers isn't most people's idea of a good time. But for Rodney Bells, it's ideal. The higher, the better, says the award-winning moral dance artist. I really, really enjoy being up with the birds when I'm up there. I'm taller than everybody else, and they have to look up and get a sore neck. From January 20th to 22nd, Australian audiences got a chance to look up and see Bell and choreographer Chloe Loftus perform the new aerial collaboration, The Air Between Us. Bell and Loftus developed Evolve the Show over a year of performing at outdoor venues in New Zealand, often performing hanging from a rig mounted to trees. The three-night engagement outside the Museum of Contemporary Art Australia in Sydney marked the show's international debut. Bell graced the cover of New Mobility's September 2010 issue as a member of California-based Axis Dance Company. He stayed at Axis until 2012 and then spent three years homeless in San Francisco before a nonprofit raised money to help him return back to New Zealand. He performed at the 2018 Commonwealth Games in Queensland and toured Australia and New Zealand with a new received show titled Maramare in 2022. He excited to share the air between us with more audience and says an international tour of Mare Mare is in the works. More than anything, though, he's excited to give back to the community, especially the Tangaraha, a moral term that he translates to meaning our disabled people that lean differently in the wind. It's my time to give back as much as I can, he says. I feel I absorbed enough soul food to start giving some of that out and feeding others. This article was a special edition that was part of New Mobility. The next thing we're going to talk about is a Lou Oral introduces adaptive makeup applicator. Article came out in January 12, 2023, was also written by Ian Rudder. 
while the world's biggest tech companies were unveiling their, their latest innovations at the CES 2023, a video model, Genera Orbregon, applying lipstick, stole the show. Orbregon is a wheelchair user from New York City and was one of the three models featured in a video by cosmetics giant L'Oreal, revealing a new lipstick applicator for users with limited mobility. Hapta is a handled smart makeup applicator. It combines motion controls and customized attachments to stabilize and level the lipstick as a user brings it towards the lips. Orbregon, who's 26, lives with several palsy and spastic quadriplegia, and she uses the device would be a welcome addition to her makeup routine. I do my own lipstick, sometimes, but not that much, she says. With this, putting on lipstick was so easy to do. It made my life so much easier and brought back a lot of independence. Obregon not only enjoyed using Hapta, but was impressed with it. As a model for four years, she has firsthand experiences with alternatives. A lot of time brands develop things for people with disabilities, but they don't consult the people with disabilities in the process. L'Oreal also debuted a L'Oreal Brow Magic, which their press release hailed as the first at home electronic eyebrow makeup applicator that provides users with customized brow looks in seconds. For more information, you can go to L'Oreal website at L-O-R-E-A-L.com. That's L'Oreal.com. Our next story we'll read is called Fieldless Wheelchair Bags Are Reviewed. This article just came out the other day on February 6, 2023. It's a feature edition in new mobility known as products and technology. Finding the right bag to hang on the back of your wheelchair can be as rewarding as discovering the perfect tool to let you tackle new tasks. If you rely on a caregiver or a third party to get items out of your backpack, knowing exactly which pouch an item is in and being able to easily instruct someone to find it will save time and make your life a great deal easier. If you have limited ability to access your own backpack, it's all the more important that everything is right where you left it. When you consider that a lot of people's first glimpse of you is from behind as a wheelchair user, especially a power wheelchair user, your bag is kind of like your butt. Using a bag that looks smart can be a good indicator that you've got your act together and mean business. South Korea's Fieldum understands this and has worked wheelchair users to build a line of highly functional, elegant wheelchair bags. Feeland offers a range of styles, and while some smaller bags are well-suited for manual chairs, most of their offerings are for power chairs. They sent us four bags reviewed, the Chicked Adaptable Square Tote Bag, Medium, the Star Deluxe Wheelchair Bag, the Fieldum Max Deluxe Wheelchair Bag, Medium, and the Juyu. To make sure we didn't miss anything, we had at least two wheelchair users roll with each bag for a couple weeks. Here are their thoughts. First, the Chicked Adaptable Square Tote Bag, which is medium, the best bang for your buck. It's $119 of the four that we tested. This bag's slimmer. Profile allows it to be a true option for both manual and power chairs. Chick's 12-liter capacity is half of the larger Fieldum Max Deluxe Medium, but it still feels spacious. I was easily able to stuff my laptop and a few other items in the main compartment. 
The bag never felt bulky, hanging off the back of my chair, and I didn't have any issues with straps hitting my wheels, like I often do with traditional backpacks, said one tester, a manual wheelchair user with a 14-inch wide chair. With one large zippered pocket, two smaller ones, and a stuffed able side pouches. The chick doesn't have as many options for compartmentizing as Freedom's larger bags. I could see using this as a great tote bag off my chair, too, said one tester. The next one is a JU. At 11 by 7.5 by 3.5 inches, the JU is more a tote or satchel than a wheelchair bag. Thanks to its customized strap system, the JU can hang easily off the back of a manual wheelchair or be worn over the shoulder in front without getting in the way of pushing. It looks slick. Centered on the bag was a nice upgrade from my old bag, said one tester. The JU is not the bag for those with tons of gears, but its padded pouches can handle a tablet and all the materials you need for a study session or an afternoon out. It goes for $149. The third one was the Fieldham Max Deluxe Wheelchair Bag Mediums. Fieldham's website shows the Fieldham Max Deluxe Wheelchair Bag on power and manual chairs but our testers felt it is a little bulky for active wheelchair users. This model has potentially overwhelming nine compartments, but as one tester pointed out, they're set up in a way where it's easy to tell them apart and find what you're looking for, even if you're reaching behind yourself. One quad reviewer appreciated how easy it was to direct her caregiver exactly where she wanted. At 16 by 16 by 6 inches, the bag could work for an overnight or short trip as much as a day-to-day -day use and should fit on a majority of power chairs. It values at $169 for a medium size and $199 for a large size. The next one is the Star Deluxe Wheelchair. The Star rolls the line between wheelchair bag and full-on luggage. It's, it's an all-in-design looks to solve all your needs even some you may not have been aware of. Six outer pouches and three inner pouches give you a whopping 30 liters of storage, more than enough for all your electronics, medical gear, change of clothes, and more. Two tall zipper side pouches offer ideal places to carry oxygen or other bulky bottles, but can expand to a problematic width of 17 by 19 inches. If you're considering this bag, make sure your chair is wide enough to handle it said one tester. Upside is it should be able to hold small ventilators and medical devices. Downside is our testers found a star drew a lot of unwanted attention in public and one tester said it took time to adjust to the death and wait while driving. It valued at and retails at at $279. So ranging from $119 to $279, Fielden's bags are more expensive than backpack maker Jonas Sports new adaptive designs, which are $70, but offer significantly more function and key for heavy-duty users. The ballistic nylon material and sturdy construction looked to last and did well in rain and snow, with the exception of Chick. The zippers on all the bags have easy-to-hook rings and glide smoothly, hopefully starving, staving off jammed zipper battles Fielden also makes a variety of additional straps that are compatible with all bags. All of our testers came away impressed by the overall quality of the bags and the obvious amount of thought that went into the design process.
The only issues raised were the size and pricing. If you are a power chair user with a lot of gear, you'll be hard pressed to find out a more practical, adaptive bag, and Fieldum offers plenty of options at different prices too, and points them seems fair. The Jayu and Chick are nice options for all wheelchair users looking for fashionable, functional solutions. Check out all their offerings and you can find out more at fieldumlife.com. That's F-E-E-L-D-O-M-L-I-F-E dot C-O-M. This article was written by Alan Rudder and came out on February 6, 2023 and is a part of New Mobility Magazine. We'll now be moving on to other articles, and we're going to be actually reading the February edition of uh, issue number 68, February 23, of Louisville Metro Government's Office for Aging and Disabled Citizens. This magazine or newsletter comes out once a month and shares a wide range of stories and articles that we feel that are appealing and affect not only the older community, but also the disabled community. There are a variety of upcoming trainings and events, and we'll be sharing those with you in this article. These include the, uh, the following, and in a little bit I'll share those with you. We're also going to share about new uh, domain and group sessions that are going on, which you may want to take part in as well. Domain work groups have been postponed for some things, but allowed for other things. One upcoming event that we encourage all disabled uh, individuals to go to and seniors is the annual monthly triad meetings. This one will take place on February 14th, which is Valentine's Day. It is a lunch in purse networking session where it starts at 1130, includes a lunch. The meeting actually takes place from 12 to 1. The location of the event, if you'd like to attend, is at Our Mother Sorrels Cafeteria. It's at located 770 Eastern Parkway, Louisville, Kentucky. 40217. You can make reservations if you like to attend by calling 502-574-5092. Once again, that uh, triad luncheon will take it at Our Mother of Sorrows Church Cafeteria in Louisville, Kentucky at 770 Eastern Parkway. If you'd like to make reservations, attend this free luncheon event on February 14th from 1130 to 1, a lunch and learn educational session you'll need to call 502-574-5092. Another exciting news, the Louisville Asset Building Coalition Volunteer Income Tax Assistance Program, also known as VITA, provides trained IRS certified volunteers who offer free tax service at 11 different sites across the city of Louisville. VITA is available to individuals and families who earn less than 66,000 in 2022. VITA volunteers will also help determine if residents are eligible for Earned Income Tax Credit, also known as EITC, a refundable federal tax credit for low- and middle-income working individuals and families. Eligibility for the EITC is based on income, number of family members, and the other criteria such as age of household members, working family who earn up to 57400 may be eligible, and the average credit last year was 2800 The VITA free tax preparation sites are listed, and I'm going to provide each of their names and where they're at, so please listen carefully. Americana Community Center, located at 4801 Southside Drive. 
the Addison Center, 701 West Ormsby on the second floor in Suite 201. Goodwill Resource Center, located at 909 East Broadway. The Louisville Urban League, located at 1535 West Broadway. The Oldham County LaGrange Library, located at 308 Yeager in LaGrange, Kentucky. The Portland Promise Center, located at 1831 Baird Street, that's B-A-I-R-D. The NABA Shively Center Hall, located at 3920 Dixie Highway. The St. Vincent de Paul Success Center, located at 1029 South Preston Highway. The Sun Valley Community Center, located at 6505 Bethany Lane. United Crescent Hill Ministries, located at 150 State Street. And finally, the Wesley House Community Services, located at 5114 Preston Highway. Schedule appointment for an in-person tax assistance. You can do that by calling 502-305-0005. Once again, you can check out all these Louisville Asset Coalition's FIDA tax centers at any of these locations. If you would like to learn more about them, call the number again, 502-305-0005. Power up your Congregate Meal Program by creating a welcoming environment for men. Join the ACL's Office of Nutrition and Health Promotional Programs, also known as the ONHPP, and the National Council of Aging for the third webinar in the series, Power Up Your Congregate Meal Program. Many programs report higher number of female participants than men. Understanding why older men attend congregate meal programs is critical to building a sustainable program and serving all older adults. In this upcoming session, the speakers will help attendees on the following things. One, understand the behaviors and preferences of older male adults attending congregate nutrition sites. Two, identify ways to keep male congregate participants coming back to sites. Three, apply learned techniques to increase congregate and other programming participation among males. This event actually took place yesterday, Wednesday, February 8th, from 2 to 3 p.m. You can still learn more about it by checking it out on their website. Exploring a Ticket to Work program to elevate employment for job seekers with disabilities. You can join the DETAC, DTAC, as we put a spotlight on the Center for Independent Living, also known as CIL, that is a part of the Empowerment Network, also known as EN, through Social Security's Ticket to Work program. Program serves ticket holders by facilitating opportunities in competitive, integrated employment. In this webinar, we will hear from the national and local leaders about the structure of the Ticket to Work program, how program involvement can support diversification of funding for a CIL or another service delivery program, and how this innovative program helps people with disabilities find jobs in a community. This takes place on Tuesday. February 14th from 3 to 4 o'clock. You should register for this event. Next things is Tools for Exploring Disability and Rehabilitation Federal Funding Landscape. Please join the Integration Committee on Disability Research, also known as ICDR, February Lunch and Learn webinar. Dr. Teresa Cruz in NIH and Dr. Dafone Chen of NIH will 
uh, percent on tools of exploring disability and rehabilitation, federal funding landscape, followed by a 15-minute question and answer session with the audience. The audience will include a wide range of ICDR stakeholders, federal interstitial partners, researchers, practitioners, disability organizations, and ICDR committee members. This takes place on Tuesday, February 21st from 12 to 1 o'clock. Dimension to COVID-19, maintaining innovations using data-driven program decision-making. Innovative dimension programs can be translated and expanded to provide benefits to wider populations as a vehicle for sustainability. During the COVID-19 pandemic, Hospital to Home H2H, a highly successful dimension care transitions program, was translated to provide discharge relief to overtaxed hospitals and to prevent readmissions. A data-driven program resulted in a successful collaboration with the county and expansion of H2H to other difficult-to-discharge, complex, and vulnerable populations. The webinar will address how data can create a pathway for program expansion and sustainability. This takes place on Thursday, February 23rd from 2 to 3 o'clock. You should register for this event, too. Ty. Technology, Internet, and Email. This professional program is open to anyone with Louisville Metro RSVP volunteer member who would like to create an email account, learn more about different technologies, and be informed about good Internet website. The program is free and a great chance to be more familiar with the newest and safest means of online technology. The event takes place on Thursday, February 23rd from 2 o'clock to 3.30 in the afternoon at the Bonaire Library, which is part of the Louisville Free Public Library. It can be uh, located at 2816 Del Rio Place in Louisville, Kentucky. You can contact Chris Clements with it at 502-574-1530, which is also the RSVP office. TBI Partners Day 2023. Each year, previously called TBI Stakeholder Day, ACL convenes interested parties to discuss important issues around TBI, services, supports, and systems, and to learn from other partners, brain injury survivors, family members, support networks, and state and federal representatives. This year, we will have sessions on aging, employment, the intersectionality of TBI, and other medical and social issues, and peer support. This takes place on Tuesday, February 28th from 12 o'clock to 4 o'clock. Research funding opportunities for minority-serving institutions. New funding opportunities are available through ACL's National Institute on Disability, Independent Living Rehabilitation Research, also known as INDILRR, have been announced for the field-initiated FI projects program for minority-serving institutions. Purposes of the field initiated programs is to develop methods, procedures, and rehabilitation technology that maximize the full inclusion and integration into society, employment, independent living, family support, and economic and social self sufficiencies of individuals with disabilities, especially individuals with the most severe disabilities. Another purpose is to improve the effectiveness of services authorized under Rehabilitation Act of 1973. FIP, the FIP Minority Serving Institution Research. 
purpose of this grant opportunity is to improve the capacity of minority serving institutions to conduct high quality disability and rehabilitation research and development carrying out research activity under FIP research grant the grantee must identify one or more hypotheses or research questions and based on hypothesis or research questions identify perform an intensive systematic study directed towards producing one new scientific knowledge two better understanding of the subject problem studied or body of knowledge the fit minority serving institution development the purpose of this grant opportunity is to improve the capacity of minority serving institutions to conduct high quality disability and rehabilitation research and development, carrying out a development activity under an FIP development grant. The grantee must use knowledge and understanding gained from research to create materials, device systems, methods, measures, techniques, tools, prototypes, processes, or intervention protocols that are beneficial to the target populations. Please visit all links and learn more about these and more details on these grant opportunities in the entire application process. These grant opportunities do close on March 14, 2023. The recipe of the month in this newsletter is the no-bake blackberry cheesecake bars. If you'd like to learn more about this recipe, you should contact Allie Woosley, who's the Office of Aging Disabled Citizens Coordinator, Louisville Metro Government. This is a part of the Department or Office of Resilience and Community Services located at the Edison Center, which is at 701 West Ornsby Street, Suite 201, Louisville, Kentucky, 40203. Her direct phone number is 502-574-5092. Her email is allison.woosley at louisvilleky.gov. That is A-L-L-I-S-O-N dot W-O-O-S-L-E-Y at L-O-U-I-S-V-I-L-L-E-K-Y dot G-O-V. Our number again is 502-574-5092. Next thing we're going to share about is the Humana Neighborhood Center located in 1918 Hikes Lane in Louisville, Kentucky. It's in Suite 0101. It's right next door to GenCare. They have a wide range of February activity events. We'll share a few of them with you. Their health condition program focuses on kidney health. It's called Taking Care of Your Kidneys. This takes place on February 8th and at 10 a.m. and involves Dr. Sosnin. That's S-O-S-N-I-N. Additional programs include Rate Your Plate. This takes place on February 13th at 10 a.m. The next additional program we'll share about is the Aging Brain, What's Normal, What's Not. This special program takes place on February 16th at 10.30 a.m. All these special programs and other great activities for the older and disabled community is at the Humana Neighborhood Center located 1918 Hikes Lane, Suite 101 in Louisville, Kentucky. And other exciting things we'll share about with you is the IRS increases ABLE account limits. People with disabilities can now save more money without jeopardizing eligibility for government benefits thanks to a change in tax rules of the new year. Starting this month, the federal gift tax exclusion increases from $16,000 to $17,000 annually. According to Internal Revenue Service, also known as the IRS, deposit limit for ABLE accounts, a savings vehicle for people with disabilities, is tied to that metrics, so it will grow as well. 
The rise is a result of inflation and follows a similar uptick in the maximum allowable ABLE account contribution last year, created under 2014 federal law. ABLE, A-B-L-E, accounts allow people with disabilities to save up to $100,000 without foregoing eligibility for Social Security and other government benefits. Medicaid can be retained no matter how much is in the accounts. Funds saved in the special accounts can be used to pay for qualified disability services, including education, health care, transportation, and housing. Interest earned is tax-free. Annual ABLE account deposits are generally capped at the value of the IRS gift tax exclusion. But people with disabilities who are employed can save some of their earnings in addition to the gift tax amount of $17,000. For this year, workers with disabilities in the 48 contiguous states will be able to save $13,590, more than the gift tax exclusion, while Alaska residents will incur an additional $16,990 in compensation and $15,630 for those in Hawaii, according to the Autism Society. ABLE, A-B-L-E, accounts are offered through the programs in 47 states, many of which are open to individuals nationwide if they have a disability that onset before the age of 26. Starting in 2026, that age limit will rise to 46 under a recently passed law. As of September, there were more than 131,000 ABLE accounts open with 1.133 billion in assets, according to the ISS Market Intelligence. Once again, the IRS will increase ABLE accounts for this year. Dealing with dementia, there's a free family giving workshop coming up if you like to attend. If you'd like to learn more about this and what Amanda's doing with KIPTA, it's a Kentucky area of uh, development, they are having a program in February. Call her at 502-714-5128. Once again, it is a caregiver workshop dealing with dementia. In other exciting news, we are still seeking Louisville Triad sponsorships and going forward and continuing the in-person networking. We shared about the upcoming Triad Luncheon for February 14th, but there are other sessions planned for July, August, October, November, and December of 2023. A sponsor is allowed to provide a small, tasty lunch for about 50, 60 individuals. Sponsors will have an informational table, be able to present materials, social media representation, as well as make announcements, and have the opportunity to present to a group of local seniors and service providers. Radio I actually did this last year in November of 2022. If you know of an organization or group that might be willing or wanting to do this, contact the Triad office, in particular, Allie Woosley on that. Her number is 502-574-5092. Once again, as a reminder, we do hope that you check out the Vita Tax things because it is tax season. You should have got all your information within the last week or so and you do need to do your taxes no matter what your situation is. If you'd like to learn more about the OADC newsletter, it is online and it's through Louisville Metro Government. This was issue number 68, the February 2023 edition. We'll be reading next month the one in March and share all the great news and other programming they do on that as well too. We'll return back to New Mobility to read another magazine. 
story. This is from the January-February edition. This is called a flap over flap surgery. Article came out on January 1st, 2023. Was written by a bunch of rolling RNs. Dreaded pressure sore, major challenge to maintaining quality of life, and a problem that incurred no matter how vigilant you are. Whether your sore quickly gets out of hand or simply isn't healing fast enough, despite treatment, there may come a time when you wound care team suggests a flap surgery. We are here to explain what this means and how you should proceed based on the knowledge and experience of others who have been through this. Well, before considering flap surgery, there are many wound care treatments options worth exploring, including wet to dry dressings, an uniboot, a wrap, wound vax, ointments, creams, and more. But when these treatment options aren't successful or take too long to heal, a wound is when flap surgery starts being discussed. In flap surgery, the surgeon removes all the dead and, and diseased tissue, a procedure called debridement, and then replaces it with a flap of healthy tissues, along with an intact to help out the process. Patients who develop stage three and four pressure injuries with a prolonged chronic and complex wound are usually candidates for flap surgery. We spoke with three individuals who are all too familiar with flap surgery. They include Jim Vosick, 61, C6, C7, complete quad since 1979. The next one is Dustin Matthews, age 38, a C3 quad since age two from a spinal stroke. And then Erica Davis, age 41, a T2 to T11 paraplegic from a spinal hemorrhage in 2005. We're first gonna talk about Erica Davis, called finally getting it right. After accidentally falling to the floor in November of 2021, Erica Davis had to scoot across the carpet to get to a chair that she used to pull herself up. I was wearing boxer type shorts and they rolled up giving me direct contact with the carpet. So I got a small carpet burn, she says. Just a small scrape is how it all started. Even though she was treated by wound care nurses at home, the wound quickly worsened. Two Prior skin grafts in the area from a burn in 2009 didn't help the healing after six years of oral antibiotics and home health nurses. She was admitted into the hospital in January near where she lives in Carlsbad, California. An MRI showed something going on in her hip bone, either inflammation or infection. So she had a peripheral inserted central catheter on PICC line inserted to deliver IV antibiotics, knowing that wound would not heal if there were a bone infection, also myelitis. She took on a task of interviewing doctors and discussing their approaches before she made up her mind as to which approach is best for her busy lifestyle. One surgeon wanted to be more aggressive with flap surgery, but three other doctors were against it. I was just waiting for them to figure things out and give me my options so we could get the show on the road and back to healing. She was discharged to her home in mid-February after the PICC line was removed. While she was recovering at home with wound care nurses coming in three times a week to change the vacuum assisted dressing called a wound vac, two more infections developed. The last infection needed another I-4 antibiotic but she no longer had a PICC line. She ended up going into the ER with a fever and chills. 
they took an MRI on my hip that had the osteomyelitis, and results showed there was still some infection left, which is why I kept getting infections, even though the wounds were very slowly healing. After careful consideration, Davis selected a surgeon from the three physicians she had consulted. He chose a surgeon that seemed to have my best outcome in his plans. In all, she was treated with not only oral and I-4 antibiotics, but also wound vac, hyperbaric oxygen, debridement surgery, and finally muscle flap surgery. She says it all helped. From surgery, she went directly to Clintron Sand Bed, a specialty bed that promotes healing. It's like a mix between a waterbed, quicksand, and a cloud. It's so weird. It's constantly moving, and it's nice and warm. The importance of post-op recovery time. After three weeks in the hospital, lying in Clinton Rod bed after surgery, Davis was finally discharged home, where she started an even longer process of a strict bed rest. I was not allowed to put any pressure whatsoever on my right tush, as my muscle flap continues to heal. Having done her homework, she lobbied to get approval for Dolphin uh, Pressure Redistributing Bed, one of the best in-home therapy beds. Her health care team came up with a post-op schedule for her, complete bed rest for six weeks with no sitting before adding five minutes of sitting time every day until she could reach two hours. That took 24 days. After that, the protocol called for a five-minute rest after two hours of sitting forever. I will have to be more careful with my tush now that it's had a few surgeries, but I'm looking forward to getting back out there again. Davis is careful to point out her takeaways from Nordeal. I didn't really start to make real progress until I had an infectious disease doctor and a plastic surgeon involved as well. Reconstructive plastic surgeons are best for flap surgery. The plastic surgeon really stressed how important it is to do regular pressure relief. Muscle can die in two hours without flood flow. Fat takes four and skin dies in six hours. Davis is now back to teaching a workout class one day per week. I'm all healed up on the outside, but I was told it can take up to a year to heal up completely on the inside. I can't wait to get back to teaching my workout class full time. I want to give people, I want to get back to my people. The second person we're going to look at is Jim Vasek. Proper nutrition and staying vigilant. Jim Vasek refers to his flap surgery experience as an adventure. Beginning in 2009, he started having bouts of osteomyelitis, which required antibiotics like Davis. The bone infection created a sore under his skin, then worked its way out. I was 30 years old, post-SCI. It was my first sitting sore in the right ischial. A little drain had started, and I noticed it in my pants, he says. I felt something. It was difficult to actually look at since I'm a C6, C7, but it kept, felt hot and moist. Very quickly, it progressed into fever and chills, and by that time, it had tunneled out. I had no idea what it was, a bone infection. A nurse practitioner at Craig's Hospital Outpatient Clinic allowed it at it and sent him straight to the ER in nearby Swedish Medical Center, where he was seen by infectious disease doctor as well as a plastic surgeon. First, they debrived the wound area and put him on antibiotics, leaving the wound open and on a wound vac. He continued on IV treatment for a month to kill the infection until he was ready for flap surgery. A long time before then, maybe 20 years prior, I had a sore in that same place, 
but it seemed minor. I did have other problems with Ostia, but not in that area. They shaved down this ischial tuberosity and removed some bone. The doctor could see what was there, and having seen hundreds of similar wounds in an MRI was not needed. While I was healing, I was on a high-protein diet tailored to the number of calories that I needed for optimum wound healing, along with a steroid regimen similar to what bodybuilders do and enhance healing. He was admitted to the ER around St. Patrick's Day and discharged three months later around the 4th of July. Fasic's post-op schedule was similar to Davis's. He had a lie completely flat on air mattress with no more than 6 degrees or head elevation for 6 weeks, in turn using a log roll technique every 2 hours. After 6 weeks, when the wound was declared healed, his physical therapy program started with some gentle stretching and range of motion. He was allowed to sit up 10 minutes and merely went back to bed for, for skin check. The next day, it was 15 minutes and back to bed. The following day, it was 15 minutes first thing in the morning, then back to bed, then another 15 minutes later in the afternoon, and back to bed. Each time, the sitting time was increased by five minutes, then 10, then 20, then in half an hour increments as his skin tolerated. The goal was to get to eight hours minimum of sitting time with no skin issues. I was also doing weight shifts for pressure relief every 20 minutes for two minutes. Last person we'll look at is Dustin Matthews, when flap surgery can be avoided. With lots of patients, a wound vac, and several wound debridements, Dustin Matthews healed a 2009 pressure sore in nine months with no discussion of a surgical flap. In 2019, a sore did open up in the same butt cheek. My wound care doctor at this time believed in nothing but flap surgeries, but he never shared his plan with me, he says. He performed my first debridement and thankfully didn't think the wound was ready for the flap that day. In recovery, he mentioned a flap and I freaked out. I've read a lot about flaps and I preferred to heal otherwise. My biggest concern was lying flat and having that cause lung issues. With the C3 SCI, he worried that his lungs would not be able to take extended time lying flat. Recovery is too hard and that would force me to stop living my life. Based on these concerns and advice of his home health nurse, Matthew decided against the surgery. This article and others were shared in New Mobility Magazine. We hope that you enjoy these stories and others in today's Disability News Program. We also shared with you the February newsletter of the Office of Aging Disabled Citizens. We'll be back next week with more stories and articles with Disability News. I wish all of you all a great week and take care. Please support Radio I and listen to other great programs. Your reader for today's program was Chris Clements, a board member and volunteer with Radio I. Take care and have a great day.